Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this episode, I am joined by Sam, and we're going to be talking about the Fall 2019 television ratings. How are you doing tonight, Sam? I am wonderful, John. How are you? I'm doing great. These are one of my favorite episodes, because I get to just open the spreadsheet and look at it. I didn't have to do any of the number crunching. Thank you once again for doing (laughs) all that. Uh, This is always very interesting for me, because there are times I feel that my, my personal viewing and what's popular, not so much in alignment. Um, and I'm okay That's with that. That's always true. Um, I, I don't think anybody exactly aligns with the top 10 or 15. It just, no one does. Uh, for me, it's not a matter of the top 10 or 15. It's a matter of there's only about maybe 10 items on these lists that I'm actually watching. Yeah, and also not unusual. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, people are viewing their TV shows in many, many different ways, particularly and again, we focus on scripted broadcast television. Mm-hmm. There's a reason uh, sports and live kind of, you know, what we call reality television are such a prevalent part of that market uh, because those are what people watch there. They just, you know, there's an incentive to watch those programs live. Well, I and think, watch the commercials. I think there's also the matter, because I don't really watch sports or reality TV show. That's just not my thing. But I think there's also the aspect of the streaming services eating up viewing time and not being represented on these numbers, because they're just a different thing. They are not represented in these numbers. They are theoretically available numbers. Nielsen does track all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, those numbers end up in the live plus three, live plus seven, and now live plus 30 viewing numbers. Um, and we kind of talk about this every year, but for people who haven't heard it in the past, the numbers I use are the live plus same day. That's anything watched, I believe, before 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the night the program originally aired. And the reason I do that is the ratings that really matter Mm -hmm. are what are called the commercial three, the C3s. And that is the number of people who viewed the commercials in the first three days after a show aired. And those are not publicly available very often. Every year, uh, there's one reporter over at Variety who gets a hold of them. Um, And you know what? I'll give John a link to that article and maybe put it in the show notes. Um, and he gets a hold of them once a year, usually in October, November, and does post them. Those are what ad rates are set by. That is how the networks get paid. They most line up with these numbers. They're almost identical. You'll see a hundredth of a point one way or the other occasionally. Um, what is not true, though, is people always, you know, PR people on television love to tout those you know, plus seven numbers. Oh, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, 300% of its viewers, you know, watched, you know, weren't counted in those numbers. Well, that, that may be accurate. The problem is that same 300% didn't watch the ads and therefore the networks aren't paid for them. 
Right. So it kind of doesn't matter. There's we're interested as viewers as to who's watching what, but the the companies involved in all of this are interested in who's watching the commercials for all of that, not the the actual show. Exactly. You know, that's that's the disconnect there, and it's an intentional one. It's been that way throughout the entire <clears throat> history of television. Yep. You know, and it's easy for people to lose sight of that because what we are interested in watching and what they are interested in us watching flip sides of the same coin. We want the show they want us watching the commercials. And what's interesting, and I, I'm convinced sometime in the not-too-distant future, we will see a return to this, and we have in some degree. In the early days of television, shows were just sponsored mm-hmm. by products. Um, you know, the Milton Berle show. Very, people forget a lot of that was under the Texaco cavalcade of comedy. Yeah. The show was just called that, and it was sponsored by Texaco Oil. Um, and, and there's lots of things like that in television. If you go back and watch old game shows, very often they were sponsored by a product. Shows like What's My Line and, you know, Make Me Laugh, all those kind of, those early, talking again, we're talking the 50s and 60s here, mm-hmm. where the product you were sponsoring was a name, of, was part of the name of the show, it was all over the set, et cetera, et cetera. And certainly we see product placement these days, but if you watch sports, you begin to see, particularly in the sports market, you begin to see they're sponsoring things in games. You will see the, you know, you watch a football game. Oh, it's the replay of the night sponsored by Pepsi or, Co- or whatever. Right, right. And you're seeing more and more of that. The college football fans, as we all know, the bowl games are now all sponsored by someone. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to have the various fruit and plant bowls, cotton. Now it's all the, you know, name a company bowl. Um, and I think we are probably sometime in the next decade going to see that come back to scripted programming as well. I think a day will come um, since the show's off the air and we all knew it, it was number one for the last several years, the Big Bang Theory. Uh-huh. My guess is the next show like that, a perennial number one, and sometime within the next decade, it'll be, you know, AT&T presents the Big Bang Theory. That was just part of the title. And, and it would not surprise me at all if we end up back in something like that. Well, to a degree, we're definitely not just moving in that direction, but kind of already in that direction. When you think about shows like everything on the DC Universe streaming service or uh, Disney Plus or even uh, Netflix and stuff, they're flat out presenting us this content. That That's a very interesting, when you talk about that, that's a different model. But it's it's a halfway step to what you're talking about, I think. Well, yeah. And, and what's funny is the streaming services for the most part, have replaced what uh, the national cable networks were trying to be 15 to 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. If you remember in the early days, of the, in the early 80s, cable was mostly dominated by reruns and syndicated, just syndicated stuff that was everywhere and reruns. Yeah. For those of us that grew up in that generation, the reason we all know the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island and all those shows is they were the only thing on because cable channels could get them cheaply and just air them. They had hours and hours and hours to film. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the mid to late 90s, particularly stations like TNT and uh, when it came around FX, 
really began, uh, and even to this day, sci-fi really began priding themselves on their original content. Uh, AMC, more recently, with shows like Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead, have really started priding themselves on their original content. Um, and what has happened is those content creators have discovered there are bigger checks to be had by rather than selling those to cable networks to selling those to streaming services. And that's where you get all those original streaming programs. I personally have gotten to the point where I find the original content moniker a little disingenuous at times because it's original content within a given market for whoever happens to be airing it there. In other words, something is original content on the sci-fi channel, even if it was originally done up in Canada. Which is something sci-fi is notorious for, yes. Yes. And there are other places where this happens, too, where, you know, in certain places, you know, this thing is is an NBC show, otherwise it's, you know, in some other part of the world, it's original to, you know, Netflix, or I don't know, something of that sort, depending, you know, who's presenting it to that market. Which, on the one hand, it's fair for them to brand it that way, up until they say it's, quote-unquote, their original content. And that is, there are those things out there, no doubt about it. There are, though, particularly for the large international conglomerates, Mm -hmm. such as Netflix, for instance, or Disney. Shows like The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, or shows like Orange is the New Black is a good example from Netflix's earlier days. Or uh, the Kevin Spacey show that was so popular before. Uh, House of Cards. House of Cards. These truly were presented globally by those services. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fair. Yeah. Created by them. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that and less of that. Something, to be fair, network television has done this for a long time, too. A lot of summer television, uh, things that we think of as new shows on summer television on the networks, um, and not necessarily always bad, but stuff like Hannibal uh, is a more recent example, were Canadian or Australian shows that were bought on the cheap. They were originally made in those countries and tried to sold, be sold into syndication, and one of the larger networks here ended up picking them up. A good example of that is uh, Flashpoint from about five, ten years ago. Yes. Canadian show aired on CBS. Under the guise of, you know, original, you know, content from CBS. And it's original to them in the States, but it's not like they pointed up quite the same level of cash or whatever that they would do for one of their real new shows. Yeah. It's a semantic difference, but <clears throat> it, it always frustrates me a little bit when somebody is, is claiming is something is, is their original content. And Sci-Fi Again was really bad about this, but not supporting it as much as something they're actually heavily invested in. Yeah. And, and there are... Yeah. CBS is an interesting one because CBS now remerged with Viacom. Um, ultimately is the smallest of the television networks and the only one that is truly in the television broadcasting game. Um, NBC is a, a part of, part of, uh, Comcast. ABC is part of Disney. Um, Fox with News Corp having sold a lot of their entertainment stuff off is getting closer back to being uh, a broadcast only kind of channel. Mm-hmm. Um, but for years that wasn't true. Um, and of course, CW with Warner brothers and Viacom dual ownership. Um, CBS, uh, you know, again, just needs to keep the doors open and keep functioning. 
which is why uh, here in the States, most people think of the new Star Trek shows as CBS All Access Originals, which they absolutely are. What most people here in the States don't know is the international rights to that show have been sold to Netflix. Mm-hmm. And anywhere else on the globe, if you want to watch, I believe, it, what's that show called? Discovery? Discovery. And then soon Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Anywhere else on the globe, if you want to watch those shows, you don't get CBS All Access. You simply get Netflix. Well, and that's the kind of thing, like I was talking about, where for us, it's a CBS All Access original content. Other parts of the world, they're going to see it as Netflix original content. And neither is more right or wrong than the other, but it, it's a confused picture. Yeah, and it's, you know, and, and again, uh, CBS All Access, I've argued for quite a few years, and I, I think to some degree I'm still semi-right. It is not intended to be a successful streaming business as much as it is a negotiation tool for retransmission fees. Mm-hmm. But that people much smarter than me have made that argument, and I tend to agree with them. But, I, I, again, you know, being a smaller company, you know, when Netflix offers, you know, seven, eight hundred thousand million dollars an episode to put them on their platforms in other parts of the world, CBS, more so than a company like Disney or Warner Brothers or Comcast that has so many other revenue streams, ha- almost is forced to take a deal like that, whereas some of those other companies are not. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that you're right, that we're in a point where television viewing is changing and is going to continue to change over the next five, ten years. And we may get, like you said, more towards the, here's the blatantly sponsored show by this company. And it may shift in other directions as well, particularly as streaming, you know, gets Mm -hmm. either more and more popular or more and more numerous. And therefore, there's a breaking point of there's too many services out there. Well, and while it hasn't launched yet, we're recording this on December 17th. Just today, NBC kind of announced some more concrete plans for their streaming service. Um, and it looks like, one, it's going to be free to Comcast cable subscribers. Because the number one thing they don't want to do is cannibalize their cable business. Mm-hmm. But for non-cable subscribers, much like Hulu uh, does, they will have, I believe they said, a ten ninety nine commercial-free version. In a $4.99 ad sponsored version. Now, this is the, uh, the Peacock streaming service. Yes, Peacock, which apparently is the name they're going to go with. When did they announce that? And the reason I ask is when my sister and I went up to Dallas for, uh, Fan Days or Fan Expo, whichever it was. As we were driving up to Dallas that Friday night, one of the buildings had the NBC Peacock logo up there. And we're like, what is that? That, cause it felt like a dated reference because they haven't really used that branding for, you know, it seems like a decade or two, up until they had announced the streaming service. Um, let me see when they originally... It looks like September 17th of 2019 when they officially introduced the idea of the streaming service being named Peacock and gave us a little information about it. Um, like I said, we got that, more information about it today. That actually sounds about right for when we would have been driving up for that Dallas convention. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, for me, I've got mixed feelings. Uh, I subscribe to a couple of these things, but there comes a point where there's got to be that, that kind of killer content for me to make it worth it. For me, between uh, uh, Star Trek Discovery, uh, being able to catch whatever reruns I need of, of any other CBS show, and there's a number that I watch, it, it was worth doing. Um, 
Disney, I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but it's a matter of when I pull the trigger. Between The Mandalorian, the various Marvel shows when they get spun up and stuff, there's enough good content there to make it worthwhile. But there's a, a finite number of these things that I'm willing to do, and it comes down to, like when uh, uh, MGM tried to spin up uh, the Stargate uh, streaming service or whatever, and the only original content that I know that they had was a two-hour Stargate movie s- serialized into like ten installments. Yep. Yeah. And I'm like, that's oh, ridiculous. Everyone's going to make this choice. As I have said on previous versions of this very podcast, I do think there's going to be a consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately, Netflix has been the only company to prove that they can make money at this game. Um, CBS has been very tight-lipped about their subscribers. Usually, shortly after one of the Star Trek shows announced, they will make a big announcement. Oh, we have this many subscribers. I think last time it was 1.9 million, um, which is a relatively small number. Um... But no doubt, once the Picard show either spins up or it's all up there, whatever the peak they feel is, they'll announce again, hey, we're doing great. Of course. And again, it depends, you know, how many of those people stick around after those shows kind of end, do they come and go? Yeah. A lot of these things we don't know. Disney is large enough that it can probably force it. But even Disney, Disney certainly when they launched, um, was able to uh, throw out some big numbers. I want to say... And, boy, I could be wrong. Look it up. I want to say the initial press release was $4 million in the first 10 days or somewhere in that neighborhood. It was crazy high and high enough that they were having problems <laughs> servicing the demand. Well, here's what I – as someone who did – it's weird. I – as we talked about on the comic show, I'm not a pre-order. I did not order any of the – or the, the pre-sign-up bundles or get a deal for signing up months early. I didn't do any of that. However, I knew exactly when the Disney streaming service was to launch. And for those of us on the West Coast, it ended up being about 3 a.m. on a Friday morning. And as an insomniac and someone on the West Coast, I couldn't sleep that night. The house was quiet. It was dark. Somewhere around 12.30, 1 a.m., I decided, hey, let's see if at least the app's there so I can download it onto my Roku TV, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the series, the, 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 the Disney Plus actually launched a few hours early. And at 1 a.m. here on the West Coast, I was able to sign up, put together a watch list, and stream without any problems from 1 a.m. to about 2.30, 3 a.m. I was finally able to fall asleep. I woke up the next morning and got that crashing problem. And then obviously went online and saw that everyone else was having the same problem. Exactly. More people are awake and trying to use it, and that's when they hit the overload of what the system could handle. Plus, that is closer to the time they claimed it would launch. Yeah. They literally had a countdown timer on their website. And like I said, it was set to expire about 4 a.m. here on the West Coast. At like 1230 that night, I just checked and went, okay, this is close enough. I'll just go ahead and sign up, get my username, password, all that, see if I can download the app. And at that point, they kind of launched a few hours early. I had no problems. But yes, by the time they hit that countdown that they'd been promising everyone, but I don't know if everyone's experience is like this. By the time I got home that evening, I had no problems and I've had zero problems since then. 
And, and that doesn't surprise me at all. In this day and age of, of cloud architecture for systems like that, you realize your demand, what you thought it was going to be and what it is, is a little different. So you ratchet it up and you, you, you throttle accordingly. Yep. You know, and for something as big as the Disney Plus stuff, they had to guess as to we're going to have this many people first day. And obviously it's hard to get that perfectly right. But you have contingency plans of, hey, if we're too high, we spin it down. If we're too low, we spin it up. Yep. So I'm um, curious how it's going to do when uh, the Marvel shows start launching. Well... That's one question. I think the much more interesting question, and again, this is this is kind of what we were talking about. The the second largest streaming service is Hulu, mm-hmm. uh, at least here in the United States. Um, has yet in any of its financials, which have always been kind of clouded because they're small enough parts of multiple other large corporations, they get buried. And even though these are publicly traded companies, since none of them owned enough of it. You weren't able to really see Hulu's numbers. Um, but that being said, most guesses are Hulu was losing close to a billion dollars a year wow. for the last several years. Um, and again, that was also spread out over kind of all those owners. Now Disney is a primary owner and they're offering a lot of deals, uh, to mix their service plus their ESPN streaming service plus Hulu for some kind of discounted price if you get all three. Um, and so we'll see if Hulu can turn a profit. The thing about Disney is one of the cell phone companies is offering a free year of Disney plus with their cell phone service. Again, it'll be interesting to see how many of those people stick around once they have to pay for it. Yeah. At 4 million number, that might be 2.5 million people getting it free. Well, and I think part of it is... While there are going to be people who, hey, well, it's free, I'll use it, and when it's not, I won't, kind of a thing. Yep. I think there's also the other end of the spectrum where, you know, hey, they've got The Mandalorian, but I'm not sure how much other new content they've got. Yep. Versus when they spin up the Marvel shows and some other stuff like that and have a bigger stream of new content, it's easier to justify the price. Absolutely. Now, here's where I think they made a good decision. It's relatively inexpensive um, at six ninety nine a month mm-hmm. or $70 for a year. And for someone like me, who certainly loves The Mandalorian, you know, we watch it as soon as every Friday evening when the new ones come out, and we're enjoying it. With two small children, having access to television shows my daughter loves, like Vampirella, they're all there, and, or not, Vampirina, sorry. I was going to say. Very different. <laughs> Very different. Doc McStuffins, my son's enjoying, you know, the. you have two kids, the access to that Disney vault. Uh, can keep small children particularly entertained for hours. Uh, I know it's driving my wife nuts. I believe my daughter has watched Frozen 11 times already uh, since we got Disney+. Plus. Well, uh, again, the Disney library of, of content is so rich yep. that, you know, if, if you've got the, the target audience, which, again, small kids are a definite part of it, but I think there's a lot of truly all-ages material in there, too. It could keep you satisfied for quite some time. Oh, yeah. And again, once my kids go to bed, I can't name the number of Disney things I've watched that I remember fondly that, you know, many people will have forgotten about. Uh, mm-hmm. The Absent-Minded Professor. Yeah. The original uh, Haley Mills Parent Trap. Uh, you know, many, the Apple Dumpling Game. You'd be amazed, all those great films from the 60s and 70s that, you know, at least people like me grew up on. 
Well, because again, a lot of it was the wonderful world of Disney stuff that was on yep. uh, the Sunday nights or whatever. On ABC, that's yeah. right. And again, talk about a branded show kind of a thing, as we were mentioning yep. earlier. <laughs> so um, it's it's interesting to see how this is all going to play out with the streaming services and, you know, if that crowds out of viewers out of broadcast or if broadcast is able to, to rise to the challenge and get some strong enough content to seriously compete with it. I, I will say this. Netflix's newest numbers just came out again within the last few days show that, A, they're actually growing in North America and Canada, which surprised me. Mm-hmm. They are also exploding in Asia. Um, and they're relatively new in that market. It's fairly untapped. There's a lot of growth potential there. Um, and, and Netflix, in theory, could be hurting right now as they're losing a lot of stuff as the other studios all have this dream of spinning up their own services. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling that much of that, when you realize the cost of customer acquisition in these streaming services and how hard it is to keep customers, um, I have a feeling a lot of them, again, Disney probably being the exception, but companies like Warner Brothers and CBS and the Peacock and all of these, I have a feeling they will begin to miss those large checks they were getting from Netflix just for giving them the rights to show those things. And I have a feeling we're going to see a consolidation back again. And my guess is Netflix will probably end up being that consolidation place as well. I, I would think so because they've got the, uh, I don't say the they've dominance, got the customer base. but they've got the they've customer got the base, customer. the awareness. They're the name brand in the industry. Yep. You um, know, there's, there's a reason why a lot of industries tend to have that one, you know, 800 pound gorilla or whatever, you know, you, you want to go buy something online. Amazon's kind of a default choice. Which, which is another interesting one. So, like we said, Hulu is the second largest streaming service. But from what we've been able to tell and what's come out officially and less officially, Hulu's never really turned a profit. Mm-hmm. Next largest streaming service in the United States is Amazon Prime, which is great. And, you know, it's got some 20 million viewer. The problem is, and I'm in this category, Amazon has how many ever subscribers it has. It is a free add-on to a two-day shipping service we bought anyways. Yep. Well, I absolutely watch something on Amazon, or I've got, you know, I've got a friend of mine who goes, oh my god, have you heard about this, or this, or it's new on Amazon. I've watched and enjoyed a lot of shows on Amazon. I've never got a bill and said to myself, oh, I am paying for Amazon streaming's video service. Not once. Exactly. Exactly. I'm in the same boat. I have <laughs> it, but that's not what I'm paying the, the Prime membership for. I- exactly. So it's it's a different mindset, not a bad one for them to be in. No, not at all. But we'll see how that, that plays out. Um, but I, I do think just between Netflix, Disney, uh, Amazon, you know, and when you start factoring in Hulu and some of these, you know, CBS All Access type stuff, there's so many of them that I do think there's starting to be a little resistance just in terms of do you want to pay another, even if it's five or six bucks a month kind of a thing, it does add up. Absolutely so we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. I'm I'm really curious because it's an interesting uh, shift for for how the television viewing type stuff happens. And I am absolutely convinced uh, for the comic listeners out there that the DC Universe streaming service 
will disappear and get folded into HBO Max, as will any other various streaming services Warner Brothers either currently has or may have talked about or considered. What I find interesting about the DC Universe one is I signed up for it at San Diego Comic-Con last year, got a extra three months out of my one-year membership or whatever. It launched a couple of months later, so we're at about that point. They should be saying, hey, do you want to renew? And I haven't heard word one from them on that. Most of them do. You have to go through steps to cancel as opposed to steps to renew in most cases. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, most of them automatically roll over. What's interesting is when you start signing up for two and three and multiple year subscriptions like that, you sign up with using a credit card. The number of people that, you know, cycle through their cards expire, they just get new ones, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, you'd be amazed. Uh, one of the things they're carrying on is you're never thinking about it. But when you allow people to kind of purchase that long term out, um, a lot, by the time it does come up for a renewal, and they try to charge, oh, yeah, they, they got to send you an email. Oh, we need you to update your card. And then you kind of do have to think about it again. Well, and one way you can kind of force that issue if you want to, and I've done this with subscription boxes, and I've definitely done this with Netflix, um, is use a virtual account number. Virtual account numbers um, for, I, I know they're designed for people with poor credit or people that don't like credit cards, um, but many of them sell gift cards. Actually, so that, gift cards is what we tend to do with Netflix, yeah. Yeah, you just, you know what? Hey, I want Netflix. I'm only going to buy a month. I'm going to go to you know whatever local store, buy a gift card, sign up for the month, and if I want another month, I'll go back to the store and get another gift card. We started doing that with Netflix after the account had like gotten hacked or something like that and flipped to a, you know, a higher tier or something. It's like, yeah, I want to limit my exposure there. Yep. So um, there, there are ways you can handle the issues. Absolutely. Want to look at these actual numbers? Yes, let's take a look at what's going on with broadcast TV. Let's start by kind of talking about uh, the television universe. Um, I know earlier today I sent John a PDF of Nielsen's full breakdown of all the TV markets and the 107.08008 million homes in the United States that have access to a television. I found that uh, fairly interesting, yeah. Um, what is interesting about that, uh, one of the things that's interesting about it is that now means 96.1% of homes uh, in the United States have access to some form of broadcast television, whether that be with an antenna, um, a, a cable subscription, satellite, whatever. They have access to broadcast television, uh, and that number actually is up on uh, to 96.1% of all U.S. homes. Uh, That's up two-tenths of a percent from the 95.9% it was a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And Nielsen estimates there are 307.3 million persons age two or older in those uh, 107.008 million television households. So, in theory, the potential viewing audience for anything is 307.3 million persons. Um, And again, that is people age two and above. Okay. Um, As we tend to talk about, um, when we talk about the ratings, what we really talk about are the demo ratings, which are what advertisers tend to pay for. In most cases, that is persons 18 to 49. Um, It is what it is. One of the things that's very interesting is how old television viewers are um, 
I believe Fox has the youngest average viewer for their primetime television, and it's hovering right around 43.9 years of age. Um, CBS is clearly the oldest, I believe, just over 60. Um, so that's also something that is changing. While the saturation of television availability, um, it continues to grow. Um, the age group of people that actually watch television is also aging. How much of that is, I almost want to say generational, but that seems a little obvious because uh, I think there's the, the generation that, that watched TV kind of come into being and like the generation or two after that. And I'm wondering if we're at that next generation where because of the internet, because of tablets, because of, of other things, uh, lack of Saturday morning cartoons. I'm going to point to that and say it's the cause. Uh, that they're just not as into TV watching as uh, older people are. I think it is a multitude of factors. Again, remember, the numbers we're looking at are live plus same day. These are people that we're talking about, for the most part, that watch television as it airs. And I think that number has definitely dropped over the last 20, 30 years. Oh, it absolutely has. With with on demand, you know, again, streaming services, uh, you know, the rise and fall of, of uh, VCRs. Um, it, it has. Here's the here's the thing. No one really talks about that number has actually been dropping since about 1980. Okay, that pretty much predates, I think, the prevalence of VCRs. They were around back then, but they were not ubiquitous back then. Absolutely. What really, what really changed television was national cable television. And what cable television really did, more so than it prevented people from watching television, is it spread the viewers out. It gave them more choices. Mm, Again, you go back, you look at the ratings from the 50s, there were shows in the 40s and 50 ratings. Half the people watching, half the people alive were watching these things. Well, let's let's also talk about one or two other things that were fundamentally different about watching television back then than today. Sure. Uh, I know for a fact that in Austin, the TV station back in the, the 50s, 60s, thereabouts, was the CBS, ABC, and NBC affiliate. Yes. So if, if you basically were able to watch what they aired at prime time, and they could pick whatever was the top-rated show across any of those networks, air them then, and then kick the other stuff to, you know, one in the morning or something like that if they wanted to. Well, yeah, people forget about that. Uh, the old affiliate system, that's something else that's changed. As broadcasters are able to own multiple stations, mm-hmm. you know, the independent affiliates are not nearly as strong as they used to be, and particularly not in those top 50 markets. You, you look at that list I gave you, which I, I, I what, 138 markets or whatever there are. Um, 210, I thought there was, yeah. Is it only that, is it that few? Okay. The, the point is, the top two pages on that list, pretty much the network owns the stations in those markets. That didn't used to be the case. CBS in the old days owned the CBS station that they broadcast out of in New York City. And everything else was a local affiliate owned by someone in that city. Mm-hmm. Um, NBC was the same thing. Um, ABC was really interesting in that they were one of the first that owned the station here on the West Coast in Los Angeles. Um, well, I, I know one of the stations here in Austin was owned 
by Texans. It was the Texas Broadcasting Company at the time. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know who owns what now, but I definitely think both that ownership and the fact that, you know, again, there were the, the three major networks and no cable channels to, to go to. Yep. Totally changes today. I mean, right now, at this very moment, either while we're talking or when people are listening, there's easily, if you've got cable, like hundreds of choices of what you could watch this instant. Yes. And so that is when we really began to see network ratings begin that downward slide that mm-hmm. they've been on ever since. Every year people would go, oh my God, I can't believe these ratings, if they, you know, whatever the top rated show is, if it had gotten these same ratings 10 years ago, it would have been canceled. That has been true since about 1980. Yeah. <laughs> and people don't seem to understand that. Uh, and again, it's changed for a whole myriad of reasons why, from the number of channels to how they were spread out to, and again, as you talked about Austin, you said at one point, basically had one station. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of kind of LA and New York, it wasn't until the late 60s that most networks had all three network affiliates. Most markets, um, you mean? Yeah, yes, most, yes. Yeah. Again, out of the top two markets, uh, a lot of places around the country only had two mm-hmm. of the three. Um, you know, it was kind of oddly divided. But yeah, there were a lot of cities that just didn't have CBS or didn't have NBC or whatever, whichever one it was. Well, I, I think people don't realize that it takes some some effort to spin up a local TV station. Absolutely. Because you're not just saying, hey, I'm going to take the, the the stuff from the affiliate and air it. You've you're expected to do the the nightly local news and stuff like that. So now you've got to have a studio. You've got to have a couple of cameras. Got to have that roving reporter type stuff or whatever. And in this day and age today, hell, most of us could probably get away with just our cell phone and get halfway decent quality for some of that stuff. You roll this back to like the 60s, totally different ballgame. Absolutely. So again, television has changed a great deal, people's access to it. That's why, again, I point out, 96.1% 96.1% of homes in the United States have access to most of the major broadcast networks. That number is higher than it's ever been. Um, and again, you go, you don't have to go back that far when that number was much smaller than I think most people assume. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> um, so yeah, that's just kind of, let's get the, let's get the, you know, what this is out of the way. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, how do you want to go through this? Do you want to look at the list as a whole? Do you want to go network by network? Do you want to pick some shows? Go ahead. Why don't you decide what you'd like to talk about, John, and we'll go from there. Uh, let's just go network by network. Uh, start okay. with We'll just do alphabetical order, so we'll start with ABC. Okay. Um, one of the things that I took away from this as I was going through this afternoon looking at the, the spreadsheet is uh, how little network television I think I'm watching these days. Yep. Because there is... On ABC, one show that I, I watched a few episodes of last season but didn't stick with, one show that I'm planning on watching but haven't started yet, uh-huh. and I don't think any... Actually, I take it back. I used to watch Grey's Anatomy like 10 years ago, uh, but there's I don't think there's anything on AB, ABC's slate here that I'm currently watching. Let me take a look. Um, so there are 17 scripted programs that have run on ABC so far this season. I am watching not nearly as many as I used to, but still a good number. I mean, for me, Grey's Anatomy for the first few seasons, but then it got to where it was more than I could stomach. 
Uh, I watched the first few episodes of The Rookie, and I'm planning on watching Stumptown. That's a show my sister is interested in, and it's based on a comic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I watched seven of these currently. Okay, which seven? Uh, the Goldbergs, A Million Little Things, School, Blessed This Mess, Single Parents, Stumptown, and Fresh Off the Boat. And yes, that ranges everywhere from their third highest rated show all the way down to their lowest rated show. Yeah. Um, you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, so, um, let's see. Let's, let's, let's see what we can talk about here. Grey's Anatomy, uh, still the most popular show on ABC. Um, and it doesn't tend to be close in its 16th season. It's just incredible how long that's been going. Yep. Um, and, it's not close. It is clearly ABC's most popular show. What I find interesting is that's one of the, the Shonda Rhimes shows, as is How to Get Away with Murder, which is second from the bottom. Uh, yes, which I believe is also in its fi- already announced final season. Okay. Um, and she had another show in there that I think is already gone. I don't remember what it was. And I want to say she signed a big deal with one of the sh- Streaming Net- outlets. Netflix, I thought. I don't, it was, it was either Netflix or Apple. I don't remember which. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah. Apple, there's another company getting into the streaming business. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, again, it's going to be interesting. Um, how much of that is really about signing up subscribers and making money, or is it a free add on for buying a Mac or an iPhone? Yeah, it's interesting how much television is changing in that regard because along with some of those, uh, streaming services and stuff, they're getting to where there's some big bucks being spent on the cast for some of these shows. People getting yep. paid a million per episode for some of these things is more commonplace than it certainly used to be. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that long ago that a million per episode was astounding for network's top series. Well, top series, like the, the eight or ten years in kind of a thing so they could keep it going. Something like a yes. Friends or a Big Bang Theory. Something that not only was popular, but had been for a long time, and they wanted to keep the gravy train going. Now, yep. it's, oh, you want to get big-name stars to start a show? It's on the table. It's like, wow. Yep. It's it's amazing. And I know Apple has really been pushing that morning show, and they have several people making some very big dollars uh, starring in that show. And I know they really promoted the heck out of the fact that they got a bunch of Golden Globe nominations, uh, which if you're going to try to buy off a group of people, the foreign, the Hollywood foreign press corps is only about a hundred people to try to buy off. Uh, Nielsen will tell you there's probably less than 700,000 people that have watched any episode of that show. Interesting. Um, again, it, it may be a great show. I've not seen it. I can't talk about that. What I do know though is, uh, it's not being seen by nearly as many people as you would think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, next for ABC is The Connors. Um, continues to do really well. Um, nowhere near where it was actually competing with things like NFL football the year it came back when Roseanne was actually on the show, uh, but still doing very well. But it made the transition to not having her on there surprisingly well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like I said, it made the transition and the fact that it stayed as a Top sitcom for ABC, uh, but again, not that breaking the mold of television the way it had done that year with her. Mm-hmm. Um, the Goldbergs, uh, Adam F. Goldberg continues to do pretty well with that show. 
Um, and I'm convinced this is an archetype show that just will always exist. Um, my guess is there's another one coming in the near future. Um, ever since Happy Days in the mid seventies, this show has been on television. It is a show about a group of teenagers growing up, uh, somewhere 20 to 30 years ago. Got it. Went from Happy Days to the Wonder Years to that 70s show. Goldbergs. My guess is there's another one coming. For those of us that were already in things like college and adults at this point, it will take place in the 90s is really kind of a frightening thought. I was going to say, we're not too far from a show being titled Turn of the Century, and it goes back to, you know, the the early 2000s. Yes. (laughs) I mean, that just writes itself. Yep. And uh, like I said, Goldbergs is doing very well, um, and it will continue to do so. There's no reason to think it wouldn't. In its seventh season, uh, The Modern Family is in its final season, uh, still doing very well. Um, Now we'll get into some of the more interesting ones. Um, the good doctor. Um, I, I've heard a lot of really good things about this show. Um, I watched a couple episodes when it first aired. Uh, I know we've got several of our Slack members that really enjoy it. Um, it's really popular. Just wasn't for me. Um, you have any contact with it? Nope. None whatsoever. Fair enough. Uh, the next show is a show I really like. I, I, I think it had a risky pro- premise. I am actually surprised it is doing as well as it is in a million little things. I'm not even um, sure what the premise of that one is. The show begins with the suicide of a middle-aged family man, and it has followed his group of friends and dealing with that and flashbacks to some of the things that brought him to that decision since uh, it started. Okay. Um, again, it was a risky premise. It seemed kind of dark, but it's actually a rather uplifting show. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, and a great ensemble cast. Uh, School is the Goldberg spinoff in its second show that kind of is that same show we were talking about taking place in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, Bless This Mess is another sitcom about a New York couple played by Lake Bell and Dak Shepard that moved to Nebraska. Um, I don't know. Think of Chevy Chase's movie, The Funny Farm, or... Tom Hanks, The Money Pit, done as a uh, weekly sitcom. Okay, all right. Uh, Mixed-ish is the spinoff of the show right below it, Blackish, um, about an integrated family. Um, I believe it's one of the daughters from the show Blackish who got married. Um, single Parents is a uh, average kind of normal sitcom about a group of parents and their school-aged children it has Brad Garrett and um, Easter, what's her name from the Gilmore Girls, and it, it is what it is. Uh, the Rookie, uh, in its second season, the, um, oh. Nathan Fillion uh, stars Nathan in that, Fillion yeah. Nathan Fillion show, yep. Uh, American Housewife, uh, probably in its last season. Um, eh, no, actually probably not. Um, Kathy Mixon, uh, get another sitcom, a Friday night show, uh, Stumptown, uh, stars Colby Smolder, uh, on the, based on the comic book by, uh, Mr. Rucka. Yeah. I hadn't realized until, uh, recently it was based on the comic by Rucka. My sister had been saying she wanted to watch it. So I've been stacking it up on the DVR and stuff. Um, but I'm more interested. I, I like Rucka's work, so I'm, I'm curious how that translates to TV. It's a pretty 
run of the mill PI show. Um, you know, if you like shows like Castle or things like that, uh, it's kind of similar. Okay. Um, I enjoy it. Uh, it's not the greatest PI show I've ever seen. It's not the worst. It's okay. Um, it's amazing I, how many PI shows fit that description. Yeah, exactly. Um, and now we're getting into the shows that will no longer be with us. Emergence, which was a new show, um, and I believe one of the first shows canceled of the season, um, is a drama. I know almost nothing about it. It's a 10 p.m. drama. I want to say it had something to do with aliens or X-Files issue stuff. But I, again, they're, they're stacked up on my DVR too, and I haven't watched them at this point. I may not. I don't know. <laughs> That one hadn't even hit my radar. Yeah. How to Get Away with Murder, as we talked about uh, a little bit before. Uh, Shonda Rhimes show in its sixth season. It was announced as its final season before it started. Um, and Fresh Off the Boat uh, sitcom, yet another Friday night show in its sixth season, uh, also was just announced as ending. Uh, this was actually a show I predicted would end last season. Uh, and Constance Wu, one of the show's stars, uh, created a little drama uh, by putting up a social media post basically saying, oh, darn it, when the show was renewed. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, but I can understand it. I think the only other show on ABC I was watching, and it was a summer show this time around, was uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, which I believe is also done, right? Uh, one more season. They got another 10-episode uh, season to go. There you go. Okay. And that'll probably, again, be either a, sum- probably a summer show again. Almost certainly, yeah. Yeah, I tend not to follow the summer numbers like I do. <laughs> no, it's understandable. There's some good shows that come on in the summer, though. It's just uh, blink and you miss them sometimes. Yep. Shall we move on to uh, CBS? Sure. Um, why don't, rather than talking about them all individually, why don't we just read them off in order, and then we can discuss kind of the ones we want to. Sounds good. Uh, their top-rated show, NCIS. Followed by Young Sheldon, The Neighborhood, FBI, Mom, The Unicorn, God Friended Me, Bob Hearts, Abishola, NCIS Los Angeles, NCIS New Orleans, Hawaii Five O, SEAL Team, Carol Second Act, Bull, All Rise, Blue Bloods, Magnum PI, SWAT, Evil, and Madam Secretary. <sighs> that was a mouthful. Um, any of these you watch or are interested in or want to talk more about? Uh, let's see. I watch God Friended Me. I am current on that show, give or take an episode. Really enjoy that. It, it, to me, it's it's a riff on uh, like a Touched by an Angel uh, early edition. Um, any that either have that religious kind of overtone or the uh, compulsive do-gooder. Um, it's it's a fun show. It works for me. Yeah. No. I me and my wife. This was our favorite show last season. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, with other things going on in our lives and stuff, and generally, me and my wife tend to steer towards sitcoms more than hour-long dramas. Uh, we have these all stacked up, and we keep saying, oh, we need to watch that. We love that show, but I actually haven't watched one from this season yet. I, I can understand that. I've I've enjoyed it. It's one of the few shows that my sister and I tend to stay current on because it's, it's uplifting. You know, it's yes, nice. it is. Yep. Now, two shows for me that fall into that category of haven't watched any this season yet uh, are Bull and Swat, both of those I finally finished last season of. Um, SWAT, I think, actually had a really good overall season last time and one or two episodes that were just outstanding. Uh, but I just haven't gotten to, to this season yet. Yep. And then Bull, uh, I enjoyed, but it's it's 
one of those that, you know how you're talking about the typical PI kind of a thing? Uh, mm-hmm. This is a courtroom variant of it kind of a thing. Yeah, kind of the typical lawyer show. Yeah. It's got its own personality and stuff, but it's nothing that is kind of cutting edge or groundbreaking. Uh, it's got yeah, a good that, cast, though. Yeah, that tends to be the way it is. Um, trying to think some of... I some I actually really enjoy some of the shows up at the top of this list. Um, Young Sheldon, of course, The Big Bang spinoff. Still not as good as The Big Bang Theory, but um, I really think Annie Potts and... Uh, now that they brought in Craig T. Nelson as a new suitor of hers, as well as Wallace Shawn is still there. Uh, in many ways, I think some of the adults are more entertaining than kids in that show, hmm. but really enjoyable. Um, the Neighborhood, I'm a longtime Cedric the Entertainer fan. I just love that show. Um, Mom continues to do really well. Uh, another Chuck Lore show shouldn't be a surprise there. Yeah. Uh, in its seventh season. Uh, and again, with a heck of a cast. Um, let's see, some of the first season shows. All Rise, another courtroom drama about a judge. Um, I don't watch it. It's doing okay. Not outstanding, not horribly. Um, I would expect it to stick around. Um, Bob Hart's Abishola. I actually really like this show. Um, again, uplifting, really sweet. And kind of funny. I, I enjoy that show a lot. Um, the other two new sitcoms, Carol's Second Act and The Unicorn, not doing as well. I don't actually expect them to last. Uh, Carol's Second Act being, oh lordy, the actress from the middle and everybody loves Raymond. Um, Patricia Heaton, um, as a middle-aged woman, uh, who went to medical school and is now doing her residency. Okay. Um, not particularly great. The Unicorn, um, oh, That's, uh, again. Walton Goggins from, yes. uh, Justified, and it's got Rob Corddry maybe on it also? Yep, and he, he basically plays a middle-aged, uh, widower, um, that his friends are trying to get back into the dating scene, and, you know, as a fairly normal gentleman without any major problems, uh, he is considered a unicorn to many of the ladies out there. I've seen a commercial for it, but I haven't actually watched that one. I watched one, maybe two episodes and didn't think it was great. Um, and I believe that's it. Oh, the other new show is Evil. Um, has already been renewed, even though its ratings are not stellar. Um, I am interested in the fact that uh, CBS took a shot on this. This is a horror show on primetime television. Interesting. That would certainly is, explain why I'm not watching it. Yeah, this is kind of the X-Files meets the Exorcist. Okay. It's it's not bad for people that enjoy horror. It's it's certainly not American Horror Story on FX. It's on broadcast television. Yeah. Uh, but I still think it's really well done. It stars Michael Emerson, who's great, of course, and oh, the other gentleman. Give me one second while I look it up, because he's really good to... Michael Coulter, I believe his name is. Probably best known as Luke Cage for us uh, oh, yeah, yeah. comic book fans. I, I think I've seen commercials for that one, yeah. Yeah, um, and then the other star, the woman, uh, Kajata Herbers, I believe her name is, who was in Westworld for people that watch that, which I did not. Uh, she was also in The Americans. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, that, that, that's one of the more interesting things to talk about. Again, it's interesting to see a network trying something different like a horror show on broadcast television. Yeah, yeah, no, I would agree with that. Particularly when you look at some of these things where they've got a Blue Bloods that's been around 10 years. They've got Hawaii Five-0 that's both been around 10 years and is a remake of something like Magnum P.I. and stuff. And then you've got, you know, two NCIS spinoffs in addition to NCIS. I mean, there's a lot of done-this-before type stuff on CBS. So for them to try something new, I think is a really good sign. Yeah, I mean, yeah, remember, NCIS, 17 years. Blue Bloods, 10 years. Y50, 10 years. NCIS Los Angeles is on its 11th season. Um, CBS shows tend to last, um, but we'll see how that continues. Um, again, CBS is one of the more interesting networks, and the fact that more so than other networks, they almost have to function like a TV company because there's not a lot of money from a different corporate overlord there. Yeah. Yeah, they've got a really deep library and stuff, and when they bring some of it back, uh, some of it I've really enjoyed. So I watched yeah, uh, the first half of the Hawaii Five O stuff. I got off around fifth season, I think. Yeah, Hawaii Five O. No one says I watched the first season, really enjoyed, never went back. Magnum PI again, it's stacking up. Much like God finding me, I enjoyed the first season a lot. Um, Magnum PI is interesting. I, I think the biggest problem with that show is the gentleman playing Magnum. Um, I think his friends and the lady playing the new Higgins are all wonderful. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of the gentleman actually playing Magnum. <laughs> it's amazing how much of a dis- difference just a key casting uh, decision can make. Yeah. Both good and bad sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and now probably the one with the most for our comic book fans. Yeah. The CW. Yep. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious what shows I'm watching. It's it's anything that has, you know, a DC kind of implied in the name. Um, so The Flash, Batwoman, Supergirl, Arrow, and Black Lightning. But yep. when we go down the, the, the list here of what's actually most popular to least, most successful or whatever, Flash is the number one show uh, by a decent margin, I think, followed by Batwoman in its first season, then Supernatural in its 15th season. That's just insane. Then Supergirl, Legacies, Arrow, Riverdale, Black Lightning, All-American, Charmed, Nancy Drew, and Dynasty. Um, and Dynasty, I'm surprised, is back for a third season. They got four seasons. They are the last show that got the big check from Netflix. Got they it. make it the four seasons. Okay. <laughs> uh, I am current on all of the CW shows. Uh, having actually watched the first three parts of uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. Uh, I've really been enjoying uh, Batwoman this season. I thought they did a fairly good job launching that show. Um, And I found it interesting how much Arrow and Flash were leaning into the Crisis stuff, whereas uh, Batwoman and Black Lightning, not so much at all. Well, Black Lightning... Had no reason to. interesting, as he was in it, sort of, but not really. He was blindsided by Crisis. Yes. Yeah. And they did an episode that's not technically part of the crossover, but clearly affected him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was I, that was a very interesting way to handle it. Yeah, as uh, my sister and I have been watching these shows, um, we've been recording the, the the season episodes for them for the podcast, and we're doing it pretty much in three parts: pre-crisis, crisis, and post-crisis. And we had a decision point of when do we watch the, that Black Lightning episode? And we decided to watch it more or less in the order it aired. So after we'd watched uh, the first two parts of Crisis before the third, and it turned out to be the right choice. Yes. Um, 
and that one we're just doing a, a pre and post crisis kind of thing. Um, but man, they have pulled out uh, all the stops for that that crossover and um, are doing a good job with it. They are. Um, I can say I've flat. My biggest issue with the Flash and the Arrow is they really felt like they were stalling, just waiting for the crossover most of the season. They had an occasional scene here or there. Flash was the worst, I felt, only because I enjoy the Flash. It's my favorite of them. But they had an interesting choice that they kind of stood around waiting for the crisis, waiting for the crisis, waiting for the crisis, and then kind of did something really interesting and left on a cliffhanger. The episode two before the crisis, meaning they had to wrap up and figure that out in the next episode because you knew the crisis was starting the episode after that. Yeah, I, f- I felt Flash was was dreading the crisis coming in a very real way, whereas for Arrow, I actually thought they did a really good job of using the various episodes they had to do callbacks to the different seasons. And really, you know, I don't want to say relive the glory days or whatever, but show us how much had happened in the run of Arrow. Absolutely. And they were, Arrow really felt like the show that was leading. As much as Barry was dreading the crisis, it felt like Oliver was really on the forefront, kind of doing the pre-actual crossover work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, that show is setting up the already announced Black Canary spinoff. I'm which curious I have about mixed that one. feelings about. I am I am curious about the setting of that show. Um, they're going to have two or three people from from Arrow, you know, spin off into it. Uh, one or two of which I'm in favor of. One or two of which not so much. Um, but to me, it comes down to the specific premise and setting of it. Well, the setting will be in the 2040 timeline. Are we certain we of that? that? Yes. Okay, that was the part I was uncertain of. That that is announced, and yes, the people returning will be Felicity, Dinah, and Mia for sure. And I would assume William and Connor will probably be along as well, even though they haven't been announced. Kind of as because the other three are kind of listed as the canaries and the main characters. I thought it was going to be Laurel. I didn't realize Felicity was going to be in it. Interesting. Yep. Okay. It could do well. The fact it's set in the future, I think, is not to its benefit. Most shows that are in that kind of, you know, 10, 20 years in the future setting seem to last a season. Yeah, it'll be interesting. What's interesting is it's also going to be some time, uh, because the other announced show is Stargirl is coming, mm-hmm. and it will come first. I've seen a trailer for that, and it looks good. It's so interesting they're not mentioning the fact that Stargirl has shown up in... Uh, the, the CW continuity. She has. The question is, is it the same one? Looks similar, different actress, so no idea. And yeah. with Crisis, who knows? It could yeah, be exactly. both the same one and a different one. Yeah. Uh, I do not think this is the one that showed up on Legends. Was that the second or the third season? Second season. And if so, it may be an earlier version of her. Yes. Um, and also, let's not forget... She also appeared, the character anyways, back in Smallville towards the end. Yes, uh, when they did the JSA there. Um, and they yep. did some, some really good stuff. Yeah. Her and Hawkman, as I remember, were the two main ones that showed up. Uh, her, Hawkman, and a couple others. Dr. Fate, I think, was one of them. Yep. Um, I would love to see the Obsidian from that second season come back. 
I mm. thought that was one of the more interesting characters. As far as uh, what's coming, going, etc., I actually expect everything to come back, with the exception of the two that are kind of pre-canceled. Supernatural and Arrow are coming to an end with this season. Yeah. Uh, we know that. We've known that. Um, I expect everything else to be back. Um, like I said, next year is where it gets interesting um, when you don't have that Netflix money coming in, uh, keeping those shows around. Um, you said you're really enjoying Batgirl. Um, Batwoman, yeah. Batwoman. I'm sorry. It's okay. You're right. Batwoman. I like the show, but I don't love it. Um, I, my biggest problem is I think the lady playing uh, Batwoman herself is okay. Mm-hmm. She's not knocking me out with her performance, but she's not terrible. Um, what is it? Ruby Rose, I believe her name is. Yeah, Ruby Rose, yeah. She is fine. Um, I think most of the rest of the acting on that show is atrocious, with the exception of Rachel Sarkston as Alice is the best part of that show by a mile. Oh, she's definitely chewing up the scenery. It's interesting because I see similarities between how they're setting up the Batwoman show and how they set up the Black Lightning show. Mm, yeah. In both cases, you've got a a big bad that is so linked to the hero in some way, shape, or form. In Black Lightning, it's Tobias Whale, who killed Black Lightning's father and stuff. Here, you've got Alice, who's, who's you know, tied into Batwoman and stuff in a very, you know, visceral way. And in different ways in the two shows, but it gives a certain dynamic where it's unlike Arrow and Flash, where you can rotate the big bad every season. It's kind of hard to do that with Black Lightning and, and Batwoman. Well... I think Black Lightning has done an interesting job of keeping Tobias involved, yet not feeling like the big bad of the season, particularly this year. Particularly this year, but in the past, too, he is. And it's one of those, though, I don't think we're ever going to be truly rid of him. No, you're never going to be truly rid of him. I agree with that. Um, Much like Alice. um, And the other thing that's interesting is, ah, you're right, she really does chew some scenery. She does it well, though. She does it very well. It is amazing how different that is, because many people may not remember this. That is the young lady that played the very quiet and almost not there in the very forgotten Birds of Prey television show as the Canary. Yep. She was also in a few episodes of Flashpoint Mm -hmm. and a few other things. Um, I may see if I can get my sister to uh, sit down and rewatch Birds of Prey with me, and we may do an episode on that show. It was a good show. it was such a good show, and I loved all of those actresses, actually. I really enjoyed. Um, so, yeah. Oh, it also had uh, uh, Shamar Moore, who's now the lead over on SWAT. Yes, he was uh, the, the, the the cop, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, some of the other shows here, Riverdale, still doing fairly well um, in its, what is his fourth season for Riverdale? Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I think nothing else overly interesting. I haven't watched it. I have recorded them. I there's a part of me that wants to see this new Nancy Drew show. Yeah, not but it's something. way down the list. Not something I'm too excited about. It is going to be interesting after the season with Arrow and Supernatural going off the air. Those being the two longest run shows on the CW, fifteen years for Supernatural, eight for Arrow. That Flash at seven seasons is going to be their longest running show. Yep. So. I'm I'm curious what else they're going to pull in and uh, how that goes. Yep. Because about half the stuff I'm watching on on primetime, you know, network TV is is on the CW. Yep. So, move over to Fox. 
Yeah, Fox. Boy, a much shorter list than we are used to seeing uh, from these networks. Looks more like the CW. Um, Fox has always been a little smaller because, again, they do not have a 10 o'clock hour. They show local news at that hour. However, Fox really leaned into uh, live and reality and things like that this season, uh, losing Thursdays to the NFL and Fridays to the WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really are only broadcasting new things uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday these days. Okay, that makes sense. Um, 911, their biggest show, they're doing a spinoff. Um, I believe they're just changing locations. Uh, this show takes place in Los Angeles. I believe they're doing a version taking place in Texas. I don't know if it's called 911 Texas or 911 Dallas. Okay. Um, but that starts, I want to say, after the new year. Uh, the Simpsons. What can you say about The Simpsons that hasn't been said? Um, 31 seasons? 31 seasons. It debuted, I believe, the original episode of The Simpsons. Simpsons roasting on an open fire. The Christmas special, which was kind of their pilot, I believe, aired December 17th, 1989, which is 30 years ago today as we record this. Didn't they have shorts or whatever on the Tracy Ullman show before that? Yeah. Yes. They they absolutely were started out as the shorts on the Tracy Ullman show. But the first half hour episode, and like if you go to Disney Plus or books or whatever you look up like a list of simpsons episode the one most list as the first episode was originally called the christmas special and the second episode aired the first week of january and the show's been on the air ever since wow just insane (laughs) um yeah it really is um followed by the family guy which again long-running animated series bless the hearts a new animated series uh i want to say it's anna kendrick uh, doing a show similar to King of the Hill, I kind of the easiest way to explain that to people who've never seen it. Um, Bob's Burgers, another semi-long boy. It's getting to where it's been a fairly long-running animated show. Really, the only new show to talk about in Prodigal Son, mm-hmm. Empire, um, the which is finally coming to an end. That was an announced final season. The Resident. In a new show called Almost Family, which is most certainly in its final, first and final season. Yeah, there's nothing here that, that I'm watching, and uh, the Orville uh, is moving to Hulu, is it? Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Prodigal Son, I really, really enjoy. Um, it is a amazingly unique show. Um, and kind of a different twist on the profiler show. It is about a genius profiler mm-hmm. who has his own issues um, because he was the son of a pair of serial killers. Ah. That being said, there is now some question about the conviction of his parents and whether or not they actually were serial killers. But that gives you an idea of the premise of that show. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, yeah. Um, and Almost Family was a modern family sort of drama Gen X thing that I don't have much to say about. Um, with uh, Brittany Snow and uh, uh, Emily Osmat and a few others. Okay. Um, 
Again, most of these shows should be back. Again, Empire is now its final season. Almost Family's dead in the water. I would expect everything else to return. But that gives them slots for potentially two new dramas if they want. Yep, or four sitcoms or some combination thereof. Plus, there are shows, like I said, the spinoff of 911. That's true. Um, That's one of them right there, yeah. The, 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 the Tim Allen show, uh, Last Man Standing and others, uh, the football season is coming to an end, so they will get Thursdays back after the new year. Okay. And Fox has kind of always had an interesting season, and they've kind of done more with splitting their seasons, uh, splitting their season, really splitting their seasons, and the fact that they have a very different lineup in the fall than they do in the uh, winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have a whole list of new shows to talk about probably on Fox when we do this in the spring. All right. Cool. Move over to NBC. Sure. Uh, yeah, this is another one. There's not a whole lot I'm watching. Um, this is us being in their top slot. That's not a surprise. No, top rated show on television. Yeah. Uh, and um, then we've got the Chicago shows, Fire, Med, and PD. Those all seem to be going strong. They are. They are all in the top ten and, again, some of the most popular shows on television. And we got New Amsterdam, Superstore, Law & Order SVU, The Good Place, Bluff City Law, The Blacklist, Will & Grace, Perfect Harmony, and Sunnyside. Yep. Anything you want to start with, or you want me to go over some of these? I will go over the one that I have watched, okay. uh, and that is one that I had not watched last time we talked about it, but have since watched all of, and, and looking forward to the final few episodes, and that's The Good Place. Oh, I love that show. It is terrific. I've really enjoyed that. Uh, it's it's just a ton of fun. Great uh, great cast. Really well written. Um, and for them to have gotten that much mileage out of you know a show really about ethics uh, is just insane. Yeah, no, it is absolutely a show about ethics. The cast the cast is so good. Um, and obviously you have the two big names in uh, Ted Danson and Kristen Dunst, but the rest of this cast was relatively unknown. Before this. Yeah, Kristen Bell was, was what made me think, yeah, I gotta go watch this. Uh, Ted Danson, I mean, from Cheers and stuff, is, is terrific as well. Uh, but they've, they've got enough other people on the show, even some of the smaller bit parts and stuff were well cast. Well, yeah, and they've got some bigger names in some of those bit parts. Uh, Mark Evan Jackson and, you know, Maya Rudolph, and there's some, after you get past Dunst and Danson, I would say some of the more recognizable actors are in some of those kind of more reoccurring guest starring roles. Um, whereas, you know, William Jackson Harbour, Jamil Jamil, uh, Darcy Carden, uh, Manny Jacinto, uh, kind of the other regulars were not nearly as well known before the show started. No, other than the, the two leads, I didn't recognize really anyone else on the show. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's a ton of fun and it's, I mean, these are like 13-episode-long seasons. It's a half hour. It is fast to catch up on. Yes. So definitely recommend it. uh, For people interested, the first three seasons are all on Netflix. All of the current seasons are on Hulu. And most of the current season is on NBC.com for free as well. Yeah, and they've got another four episodes or something left, maybe, thereabouts. Yeah, it's not coming back till the middle of January, but yes, they've got a few episodes left. Yeah. That's all I'm watching on this list. Yeah, and the good place, this is an announced final season. Um, Bluff City Law is one of the new seasons. Uh, not going to make it, I would not expect. Uh, Sunnyside, 
was the first show canceled and pulled off the air. The only show pulled off the air. Well, really one of two sort of, uh, this season, uh, just a complete train wreck and one of the lowest rated shows of all time. Um, other new shows, perfect harmony, uh, not doing much better. Uh, this, uh, I actually really enjoy. It's a little dark. It's a uh, Bradley Whitford as a drunk, angry music professor from the North that goes to bury his wife someplace in a small Southern town and ends up being the local choir director at the church. They promoted this at uh, Comic-Con. Okay. Well, okay. I they, loved it. I remember seeing, now that you mentioned, I remember seeing the stuff on, I think it was the, uh, the Hard Rock Cafe. Okay. But haven't watched it yet. Yeah, uh, like I said, it got paired with one of the biggest bombs in television history um, with Sunnyside um, and Will and Grace uh, has aired a few. Matter of fact, uh, I believe they replaced Sunnyside with Will and Grace, uh, which I don't think was originally scheduled to return until after the new year. Um, However, Will and Grace also announced final season. Everything else I would expect to be back. Uh, this is us is already signed for another two seasons. Yeah, it's not too surprising given how well it's doing. Um, and again, since we mentioned it with the Simpsons and uh, NCIS, Law and Order SVU in its twenty first season still just keeps going. Yeah, that's that's incredible how long some of those shows can last. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> well, and it, what's amazing to me is they feel like new shows, and now they're way up here at the top, and they didn't. It's amazing. NBC gave them a chance and let them run a little bit. Chicago Fire in its eighth season, Chicago PD in its seventh. These were shows that I said were borderline in their first seasons. Well, and now they're top ten shows, period. And they've had one or two shows they've tried to spin off, like a Chicago Justice and stuff, that just didn't catch on. I believe that's the only one. Yeah. But Fire, Med, and PD have survived. The Law one's the one that didn't work well, and you got to figure not everything's going to be a winner or whatever, but uh, to have a, a strong franchise like that, that's it's great. Is that? Oh, I say that's Dick Wolf as well, isn't it? I'm not sure. No, I was wrong. It's Michael Brand. Huh? Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was. Uh, no, it's Michael Brand. Um, again, who's you know uh, for 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 us uh, comic book people, he did the uh, screenplay for the film Wanted. Oh, okay. Is probably where uh, comic fans would be most familiar with him from. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, those shows doing really well for NBC. Um, and thanks to Sunday Night Football and This Is Us, NBC, for, for those that want to compare networks, NBC is clearly the leading network at this point in the season. It is almost flat to last year. Fox is actually up compared to last year. Uh, almost exclusively has to do with Thursday night football, whereas CBS, NBC, are I'm sorry, CBS, ABC are significantly down year over year, and the CW slightly down year over year. Um, playing in an entirely different ball game than these other networks, though. Um, just as an example, uh, when I say the CW is slightly down. Its average uh, rating comes in at around a 0.26 um, compared to 0.7s, 0.8s, 0.9s, and 1.0s for the other networks. Um, so again, CW is kind of in a different league than the other networks. 
I would agree with that. It's it's what had been kind of I don't want to say one of the baby networks or whatever, but it's it's certainly not on the same kind of playing field as a, a NBC, CBS, ABC. No, and it, I mean it started out um, really as the WB, um, which wasn't to be fair all that long after Fox Network started. Um, but again, Fox invested a ton of money, made a huge splash, uh, when they bought their first NFL contract away from NBC at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the WBs kind of never, and then you've been through the UPN, the merger of the two, the C, never has kind of put the investment, um, the, no national news shows, uh, no Sunday morning news show, no, they kind of haven't put in the investment to have the kind of things all the other networks have. Yeah, yeah. I think right now, kind of one of their main claim to fame is is again the the various DC shows, and I think they're really kind of you know leaning into that with the Crisis on Infinite Earth stuff, and that seems well, to have bumped up the ratings for the those few episodes. Absolutely. And while it is coming to an end, let's not forget um, the vampire show history. Now. True. True. Uh, Legacies, Vampire Diaries, Supernatural. I mean, there was a whole group of those shows that lasted for many, many years. Absolutely. And that got the, sh- the, the, the network to where it was able to do things like Arrow and start up that whole chain of shows. Yep. So, definitely. So, anything and, you th- see shaking things up uh, as we head into January and stuff? Um, January's always interesting. Football uh, ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you have the playoffs, which are a huge bump. The NFL playoffs, the Super Bowl, of course. Um, but after that, we'll be in a slightly different spot. The other thing I kind of wanted to touch on, just um, for those interested, for our comic book fans, um, the Watchmen show over on HBO. Yeah, how's that doing? I haven't watched that um, yet. I'm curious though. All nine episodes have aired. It averaged a point two four rating. With an average of about seven hundred and fifty thousand viewers, um, to give you an idea, this puts it on about the same place as Black Lightning. Okay. Um, I've had so coworkers yeah. mention it and say good things about it, so I can see how it's a very divisive show. I personally really disliked it. Um, I know other people really liked it. Um, and I, I, I understand why some people like it. I understand why some people hate it. Um, so it is what it is. Okay. Um, but I did want to at least mention that. That's the other kind of comic book thing. Um, I thought I would mention. Yeah. It's just, uh, so many, uh, so many things to watch these days. It's, it's hard to keep up. Why I haven't. Um, but yeah, that's that's on my list, as is uh, a couple of other things from various streaming services. I still haven't watched the last season of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, or Punisher, or the second season of either Cloak and Dagger or Runaways, or the third or fourth seasons of Mr. Robot. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff out there. Mr. Robot's another one of those interesting shows. No show got more press. More praise, no awards that nobody saw. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen the numbers. That show was abysmal. They were, they were lucky if two or three hundred thousand people watched that show. Yeah, but if you get the right two or three hundred thousand, maybe that's enough. Yep. <laughs> well, not to sell ads, it's not. But true, yes. true. You get awards, certainly. 
yeah, get some notoriety or whatever. And who knows? Maybe that'll do one, uh, be one that does well either on you know streaming services after the fact, or I was gonna say on DVDs. Not that anyone still buys those. Um, no, DVDs have been replaced with whatever large check you can convince a streaming service to write you for those rights. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I believe that show is produced by NBC, so my guess is it'll probably end up on the Peacock. That would make sense. Um, when it, you know, when that comes about, which I believe is scheduled to be the middle of 2020. I want to say it's supposed to launch, he double check, but I want to say it's supposed to launch around July of next year. Um, or possibly this year, depending on when this, uh, when this goes up, yeah, goes up. Um, oh no, they are saying it might be late April of 2020, so even sooner than I thought. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, um, I think that really will be the last major one. Um, HBO Max will be the other. which is technically slated to be May 2020. HBO's biggest problem, you know, Warner Brothers' biggest problem for HBO Max is as it's currently laid out, I believe there will be four versions of HBO. (laughs) And um, I think they're afraid to get rid of any, but on the other hand, that's very mixed marketing and confusing to the marketplace. Yeah, I was going to say, it's definitely confusing. Is there's HBO, the add-on to your cable standalone service. Uh-huh. The HBO we've known for 30 years. And then there is HBO, is it now? There's HBO Go, I thought. Okay, so there's two. One is now and one is Go. One is the current standalone HBO streaming service. Okay. Which is basically a streaming service of just HBO. Then there is the other one. That is the streaming website for people that have the cable television channel to access video on demand and streaming content that way. Yeah, that's just confusing. And, and then HBO Max will be the new standalone. Looks like it'll probably be at about the $15 range. But again, how you roll that into the people currently paying, I believe, 11 to 12 for the HBO, either now or go plus not interfere with the people that already subscribe to their cable providers. And again, now having four different names, none none of that is great branding. Yeah. And then the whole question of how does the DC universe stuff fit in or not and and whatnot, it's, they need to make these decisions a lot simpler for, for the consumer. Yeah. Um, And again, my prediction is at some point it may take several years. But once this all shakes out, HBO Max will be Warner Brothers streaming service, and it will incorporate all the other ones, DC, the other versions of HBO, Boomerang, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think we're going to see a definite shakeout on um, on the whole streaming services over the next couple of years. Um, and it's it's going to be interesting to see, you know, which ones really thrive and which ones just barely survive and which ones just kind of go away. Yeah. I, I expect Disney will stick around. Uh, yeah. Um, that one I think is a safe bet. It'll do fine. How ESPN plus and Hulu relate to that will be interesting. It's entirely possible rather than bundling those, they might at some point roll that into just one. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it'll probably raise the price a little and that'll just be, you'll have all three of those as a single thing. And that'll just be what, you know, they'll probably just keep calling it Disney plus. Um, again, I, I think the same thing's going to happen with HBO. Um, and then Netflix will still be Netflix. And like I said, it wouldn't surprise me particularly for Warner brothers and NBC to kind of fold first and start selling content back to Netflix. Um, only cause that's potentially where the money is for them. Yeah. I, I think it comes down to how much trouble is it for them to maintain their own service and, you know, is it worth the, the cost and investment in that versus, again, outsourcing it to somewhere like Netflix? And if Netflix could get some of the, if it could get the NBC stuff and the CBS stuff, you know, that gives it just a, again, that threshold amount of content that few others can really kind of compete against. Disney, I mean, again, with the back library of all the Disney stuff, plus Star Wars, plus Marvel, plus, you know, it's it's going to do fine. Well, and again, for Disney's vault, which is impressive, it pales in comparison to size and even notoriety of something like Warner Brothers vault. If Warner Brothers really wants to open up the vault and put everything out there on a service like HBO Max or Plus or whatever it's being called, um, as far as for a film library, I mean, Warner Brothers is one of the oldest, largest studios in the world. What I would do if I were them is not only put all that content out there, but I would then have a curated kind of guide through it. Yes, that is the problem. It is so large. But remember how, because I, mean, I, I used to watch some of the, the LA affiliates when I was living in San Diego as a kid and stuff, and they had, um, and I forget the guy's name, he would basically... Uh, be guiding through kind of, here's the movie we're going to show this afternoon, and he'd give some tidbits about it and that kind of a thing. Are you thinking of Tom Haddon and the film, Family Film Festival and KTLA? I, th- I think so, yeah. He used to do Popeye cartoons? Exactly, that's the one. The family Film Festival. Yeah. He was great. One of my all-time favorite co-hosts, and I grew up on those. Um, as a matter of fact, it's hilarious. Because of Tom Haddon, one of my favorite films as a kid were the Inger Nielsen Swedish Pippi Longstocking films. Mm-hmm. I have, I have purchased them on DVD, and my kids absolutely adore them. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. These are bad Swedish dubs from the 60s, and my kids just love them. But if you have somebody who, if you can pair up some, some film historians who know what's in the Warner Vault backwards, forwards, left and right, with some good social media type people that could basically do just, you know, five, ten minute thing before and after, or, you know... A guided tour through here are the movies you should watch and the order you should watch and what you should be watching them for and get out of them or something. You know, it's not something that would be mandatory for everybody to, to watch, but those who did, it would get a lot more people that's, oh, hell, I don't know what to watch. Something to watch. A decade. You've got a century, really, of yeah. Oscar winners and everything from the silent film days to modern, you know, to Harry Potter. Um, and to be fair, NBC and Peacock has the same potential with the Universal Library. Yeah, the Universal Library goes deep too. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, from the early, from the James Whale horror films and the classic monster films, you know, all the way up to the Fast and Furious films of today. Yeah. So it's interesting when you really think about it. Disney's vault, in many ways, is one of the smallest. It may be smaller, but it's they've it's better marketed and better known. It's better marketed. That I agree with. 
As far as better known, I think the others are just so large, you don't think of them as a library. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, when when you mention Disney, everybody immediately has something come to mind of what they think is canonical Disney material. Yep. You think Universal, and you know there's a lot of stuff from Universal, but it's not, oh, wait, is it this or is it part of that, you know, kind of a thing. Well, I mean, there's the original Brothers Westerns, all the classic black and white Westerns. Then you've got the Age of the Monsters. You know, Frankenstein, the Mummy, Bela Lugosi, the Dracula, all that, all Universal. Then you've got all of Hitchcock's library but is you, with Universal. You're leaning all on the movie side. What comes to my mind is more some of the TV stuff. Yeah, which is another a whole other way to go. You know, everything from the A-Team stuff to uh, Battlestar Galactica, the original stuff, uh, on, on up and down. Yep. You know, so there's there's a ton of material there. Yeah. And again, Warner Brothers, again, you've got everything from, you know, Robert Redford's library and, and you know, you can go back before that to Always and some of the, the, the very early Oscar winners all the way through, like I said, the Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. Um, again, these are not small studios. I think not only having that material, but pairing it with a uh, history of film and TV sort of entertaining course or whatever. With hot links to, oh, you, this sounds interesting, click here, you can go watch it right now. Yeah, yeah. That might be an interesting way to approach it. But yeah, again, those libraries are huge, but yes, they can be kind of daunting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, again, it will be interesting to see what happens. Absolutely. So, anything else on this? I think I'm good. Sounds good to me. Cool. Thanks again for doing all the number crunching. Anytime. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.